We're making it through the weather. We're making it through the cold. All right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I did not like the cold weather. <laughs> but it's all good. All right. I just want to continue to uh, encourage each and every one to to continue in the in those New Year's study resolutions that you may have. I know um, many of you may have uh, joined in the reading of the one year um, Bible, um, that chronological plan that was sent out. Um, if you've been keeping up with that, you should be in Job 30 something. So I was listening to it this morning. Um, yeah, Job 30 something. And uh, it's interesting because sometimes when you when you listen to Job, it all sounds the same, you know, after a while. Um, but I've, the more I've looked at it over the years, it's it really has a strong uh, lesson inside of it, um, which we can definitely talk about one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, but it's it's a it's a great book of the Bible, a great early um, scriptural writing here. Today's lesson um, I've titled um, "The Youth of Jesus Christ, Part One." The Youth of Jesus Christ, Part One. Really, this whole month we've looked at um, Christ's childhood in some way, shape, or form. Um, last week we had an opportunity to look at the um, Egypt scene, and then the week before that we had an opportunity to look at his dedication ceremony in the temple. Um, today and next week, we'll examine a, a unique passage of scripture. Uh, today's text will be found in Luke, the second chapter, 39 through 42. Luke, the second chapter, 39 through 42, and I'm attempting to hit the life of Christ in a chronological type of order um, so that we can start seeing some development there. Um, some growth, some maturity, and hopefully it will encourage us to do the same. So again, that will be Luke, the second chapter, 39 through 42. It's always good when, especially when you're looking at the beginning of a, a book in the Bible, to take some time to consider some background information. And so I'm going to do a little bit of that uh, this morning. One, because I, I love the study of Luke. You may have heard me say my favorite gospel is John, um, but outside of John, it's probably Luke. Um, I guess I like the, the different gospel writings for, for different reasons. Um, Dr. Luke, and we have to remember that this is Dr. Luke. Um, God utilized his skill, fine attention to detail, humility, and service to be able to write some of the most profound scriptures in the Bible. You know that Luke wrote the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke, as well as Acts. Um, and so he is the only Gospel writer that has is unique to that book, Acts. He's not the only Gospel writer to write outside of that. We know John wrote some more as well, but Acts is a, a unique uh, book of the Bible because it's the church. It's the merge of the church. And so um, eventually we'll get to um, the book of Acts. But Dr. Luke took some time to write some things in scripture that, are, that God only revealed 
to him, that God only revealed to him. So we looked at the dedication ceremony that's only in Luke. Um, Luke had an opportunity to write about Jesus Christ being dedicated in the temple after that 40 days of uncleanliness that we spoke of. Luke is also the only writer to write the event that we're looking at right now where Jesus is 12 years old in the temple. So today is more of a background lesson into that lesson. Next week we'll actually look into this um, wild event of uh, Jesus Christ at 12, years, at 12 years of age. Only Luke writes that as well. And so if we take those two situations there that God allowed him to write, we see some very unique things inside of them. One of the things that you see in Luke's writing is he has a affinity towards temple, the temple. Both of the events that I just referred to take place in the temple. Um, and that's not an accident. That's for a reason. That's one of Luke's themes in his writings. Really, the key with Luke's writing, as we've seen in some of the previous weeks and I've tried to like highlight, is it's all about identification. It's all about identification. Luke writes to the reader. Remember, he's writing to all. He's trying to express that Jesus died for all. No matter who you are, no matter your background, where you've come from, Jesus died for all. Remember, Luke is a Gentile that God used in his plan. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile that's familiar with Jewish customs, practices, so on and so forth. But he is a testimony that God can use anyone who is willing and have a, a sense of humility about themselves as it pertains to God. So God utilized him in a unique way. I am blown away when I study Luke because I'm familiar with his writings in the gospel, but then when you transition over to Acts and you see God allows him to be utilized even in the ministry of, of Paul, he has a lot of experience. He's seen a lot of things, and God has just continued to work with him. Remember, the key is identification, though. The key is identification. So I'm going to read these, these four verses, yeah, these four verses here, and then we'll really focus in on verses 39 and 40. It's very hard and study to, and I try not to move too fast through the scriptures, um, because each scripture, you really need to take time to understand some things. We really need to take time to understand the context, what's going on in, in, in this time period. It's not our time period. Look at some different words. I'm going to present today's text more in the King James Version, because there are some specific words that I think some of the translations kind of move away from and you kind of lose that, that real uh, context there. But I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, 39 through 42. You might have a subheading in your Bible. Mine has a subheading that says, Christ grows up in Nazareth. And it says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. There are a couple of things that are worth 
really taking some time to look at. There's some phrases there that I'll try to highlight just so that we can really understand what many have called the silent years of Jesus. Um, and I can remember studying um, through Jesus' childhood and thinking to myself, we only have this one story when he's 12 years old. And I came up with my own conclusion that I found was wrong. <laughs> like many of <laughs> the things I would come to in my own thinking. I said, well, maybe it just wasn't important. Because if it was important, God would have put it in scripture. That's what I said. And then the more I started to study some things, I came across a scripture passage that you all probably know that speaks of God's word being a mystery. God's word is a mystery. Meaning, if you desire to know and you seek him with your whole heart, he will reveal himself. But even as he reveals himself, we won't know it all. We'll understand it better by and by, but we won't know it all until we see him face to face. God's word is a mystery. So if anyone stands in front of you and say, I know everything about the scripture, they are a liar and you should walk out the door. That's including me, all right? Just walk out, all right? I'm telling you, just walk out. Um, because it's a mystery. And the more we study, the more we learn of some things. That was my faulty conclusion initially. Now I believe that he does want us to know some things about Jesus' childhood. But we're gonna have to from more of scripture in order to really see what this passage is telling us. It's going to take some more seeking and faith and he will open things up. So we have this one story in the gospel of Jesus' childhood when he was 12 years old at the temple. Verse 39 and Verse 40 is where our focus today, and they can't be overlooked because they really give us insight into these first 12 years of Christ's childhood. Verse 39 says, And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, it says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they would be Joseph, Mary, Jesus. Joseph, Mary, Jesus. If you look at Luke, you'll notice that Luke doesn't put in his book the story that we learned last week that was in Matthew, the flight to Egypt. That was in Matthew. Luke focuses on this first temple scene, the dedication ceremony, and then he transitions to this second temple scene right here. Luke is trying to emphasize to us, the reader, that Jesus, Mary, Joseph, followed the law. They were devout. That is one characteristic of Jesus' childhood that we must understand. Jesus was taught in the ways of the law, and he followed the law according to what he was taught by his parents. That's Mary and Joseph. That's Mary and Joseph. They follow things according to the law. So if you remember earlier, they, he was circumcised, dedicated in the temple, 
They went through all of the different rituals. So we could also assume that every year they made that pilgrimage three times a year because that was important. That's the Passover. That's what we'll read here. That's Pentecost. This is Jewish custom, three times a year. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles. Those three times a year, Jews were to make the trip to Jerusalem to the temple. So we could assume that they did the same thing because they followed the law year after year after year after year. Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, I know we've been reading um, for our um, homework, we've been reading Exodus 12 this past week, and I'm going to ask that we read Exodus 13 this week, and we see this whole Passover setting in the Old Testament. But if you want to read about the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booth, where God commanded Moses to celebrate this as a reminder of God delivering them through the wilderness, this is Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, 33 through 44. So Jesus, so the child and his mother, um, like the scripture said, and Joseph, they followed the law. They did things according to the law. And then it says, they returned to Galilee, so it skips over that Egypt part, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So we have their own city, Nazareth, where they grew up, where Jesus grew up, Nazareth. That's the part that we will really settle in today, in today's lesson. We took some time last week, or the week before, to talk about what Nazareth really meant, what it really symbolized, and that was this whole um, being viewed a certain way, um, despised, looked at, ridiculed type. That really sets the stage for Jesus' childhood. That was Jesus' childhood in a nutshell. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. We see many scenes and situations in the New Testament where he will return to Nazareth in his adulthood and he faces the same type of mistreatment. Remember Matthew 23, Matthew 2 and 23 was where we left off last week and it said, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. And remember, we talked about that. He shall be called a Nazarene. He shall be called a Nazarene. He was then and would always be despised, rejected, hated, mocked. And the prophets spoke of this. I used to read, though, when I would read passages of scripture that talked about Jesus being despised and mistreated, I always connected that to on the cross. I would fast forward and I would only connect that with his adulthood. And I would say he was despised and rejected as he made his way to the cross. And the more I studied and looked at some of the passages and one of them we'll focus on today, I realized that this was not just something that he dealt with in his adulthood. It began when he was a child. So verse 40 says, of Luke chapter two, it says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. It almost, if you're looking at verses 39 and 42, 
it almost seems like that verse kind of comes out of nowhere. It's repeated again, but in a, in a different way in verse 52 of Luke chapter 2. But when we look at this verse, it almost seems like that could have been left out because one would say, oh, we already know that. It's, it's Jesus. So some might say that could have been left out and we could have went from 39 to 41. But verse 40 is the key verse. Verse 40 is the key verse. There are some things about Jesus' childhood that's mentioned here in verse 40, but it doesn't necessarily meet the eye. So we want to take some time to look at it today. There are three characteristics that describe Jesus' childhood in verse 40. The first one, it says, and the child grew. And the child grew. You say, oh, I know that. That's what happens, <laughs> right? This is important, though, to remove any heresy that's been taught. See, some may have taught that Jesus had only a this supernatural, godly kind of childhood. What verse 40 says is he grew the way that a human would grow as a child. He went through all the stages, right? So he was a baby, a toddler, a little bitty baby like mine, right? He, he was older. He experienced some things that a child would experience. In order for Christ to identify with me and everything that I could go through and everything that Braxton can go through and Carrington, he had to go through those stages himself. So when it says he grew like a child, he grew like a human would grow when they're a child. There are many um, extra biblical sources that speak of all of these wild and crazy things that they believe Jesus did as a, as a child. Um, he would bring things that weren't real to life, like rocks, he would make them turn to doves and fly away. If you, like some of the, uh, one of the, the, the more popular writings of this day was the Gospel According to Thomas. Um, it's not a, a biblical uh, book, but there are stories in there that would lead one to believe that maybe it's true. We don't really know all of that. We know what scripture has told us. However, this says that Jesus grew as a child, all of the stages. Then there's another verse, then there's another phrase in verse 40 that sometimes skipped over and it says, in the King James Version it says, and waxed strong in spirit. I chose the King James Version today for that phrase alone, and waxed strong in spirit. And waxed strong in spirit. Waxed is a King James type of word that you see throughout the Bible uh, many times. Commonly translated, wax means to grow or increase in. So you might say, okay, this meant that he increased or grew stronger in the spirit. However, if you really look at not just the context that we're about to speak of today, but any of the context that has the word waxed in it, there's an element of despite or in spite of. What this really says is Jesus grew 
stronger in the spirit, although there were some things going on around him. See, his hometown of Nazareth wasn't peaceful, pleasant, like some would like to believe. You probably could say the same thing about your hometown. <laughs> you know, maybe you enjoy visiting from time to time, but you probably don't want to go back and live there, right? Um, there may be some things about your hometown that you just don't like, right? Some things about your childhood that you just glad that you're away from. Jesus experienced some things in his childhood where when I think about it, I could understand why he only visited there a few times in his adult ministry, right? Twice is what we know of in scripture. But this says that he waxed strong in spirit. He continued to increase in spirit as he dealt with things in his hometown during his childhood. in the midst of conflict and some of those things that we'll point out today. And it also says that he was filled with wisdom. I want to go to an Old Testament passage that really highlights that. And it's Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to ask that you um, join me um, in Isaiah chapter 11. I'm just going to read the first uh, couple of verses in Isaiah chapter 11. Can I just say that when we talk about this, before we go to being filled with wisdom, when we talk about being waxed strong in the spirit, let me make a bold statement. There really isn't any growth and maturity in utopia. Like in a perfect environment, there really isn't any growth and maturity because you're not faced with anything. When you're faced with hardship, adversity, conflict, some of those things that aren't comfortable to us, and you apply the word of God, that's when you mature and grow. That's when you mature and grow. So if you are studying and learning about God and have a desire to grow, then naturally, God will put you in a situation to apply what you've learned. That's called a test. We see it in school. We understand it. We may not like them, right? <laughs> but we understand that it's to apply what I've learned so that I can go to the next level. And that's the way it is in Christianity. If we always desire a perfect environment or for everything to go our way, we will never grow or mature. That's why it's so important what happened in Nazareth with Jesus because he was increasing and maturing and developing at a rate that was mind-blowing because he didn't get slowed down by sin, his own way of thinking, and what was going on around him. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 says, and it really speaks of Christ's childhood. It says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. It's that childhood part. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And then it says, the verse that we probably know, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
and shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. I always applied that to Jesus' adulthood and ministry until I recently began to spend more time in his childhood and realized that started when he was a child. That wasn't just an adult ministry type of scripture as it talks about the stem of Jesse and the branch. And then verse three says, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. This is what the phrase means in Luke chapter 240 when it says he was filled with wisdom. He was filled with wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, spirit of the Lord resting on him as a child. As a child. But so that we don't take this out of context, right at the end of verse of Luke chapter 2 verse 40 it says and the grace of God was upon him grace is what God bestows on each and every one of us it's his resources that he gives to us so in order for us not to take this out of context and think that this happened because Jesus was God at the end of verse 40 it says, and the grace of God was upon him. So he was filled with wisdom, waxed strong in the spirit, and grew all according to what God had given him. That spirit, that's the law, that's the teachings, that's the, that's the wisdom, all of those things God gave him and he applied in Nazareth, in his hometown, where he was rejected and mistreated. Again, he had to have an uncomfortable childhood in order to grow in wisdom and wax strong in the spirit. There's a New Testament passage that we apply to what I just said, and that's James chapter one, verse two through four. James chapter one, Verse two through four says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worked patience. Our faith has to be tried and tested. And this is what Jesus experienced in Nazareth. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect, that word perfect is mature, and entire or complete, wanting nothing or lacking nothing. So we have to have our faith tried and tested so we'll know really who God is in all situations and circumstances. That's the part that we usually pray to not happen in our lives. We pray that God don't allow us to go through situations like that because if we are honest with ourselves, we may feel that there's a deficit on our part, right? There's a, there's a failure or an inadequacy on our part. But God is faithful, and he will allow us to go through those situations so that it could expose who we really are, so that we could see our areas of inadequacies and we can make the adjustments. 
Then that brings us to this whole Nazareth scene. I'm going to ask, as I bring the latter part of the lesson in, I'm going to ask that you join me in Psalms chapter 69. Psalms chapter 69 is what's called a messianic psalm. Messianic because it speaks of Christ. But many believe that messianic psalms or messianic prophecies really just deal with his death. That's really not true. Messianic writing, prophecies, and the messianic psalms also speak of his life and those things that he dealt with as he lived. So Psalm chapter 69 helps us to unravel some of the mystery around the childhood of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24 and 44, Jesus told the disciples that the Psalms are written about me. That's first. He said, the Psalms are written about me. So if you're familiar with the writings in the Psalms, then this shouldn't come as a surprise to you that I must go, that I had to come, that I would go to this place and that place and experience these things and I would, and I would die and, and be crucified and rise again. Because you're familiar with the Psalms and they spoke of me. And they spoke of me. Psalm chapter 69 is quoted more in the New Testament than any other psalm with the exception of Psalm chapter 22, which is a favorite. Psalm chapter 22, but outside of Psalm chapter 22, Psalm chapter 69 is quoted more in the New Testament. First, when we're looking at the background into Nazareth, there are some things that we have to bring into the text. First of all, we remember that there probably were a lot of rumors taking place in Nazareth during the time of Jesus' childhood, right? Because remember, Mary had Jesus apart from Joseph, and people probably began to talk. You know how in hometown, right? You grow up, they say a lot of things. Oh, this was so-and-so. He wasn't really, you know, their child. We believe that Mary had, you know, another relationship, and that's where Jesus came from. So a lot of this was taking place in Nazareth, you could imagine. Because remember, the angel appeared to Mary when Mary was alone. The angel didn't appear to Mary when she was in the synagogue in front of people where they could have said, we were witness that the angel said that, right? It was just like word of mouth. She said it, we just have to believe it. That's what made the situation so unique. The angel appeared to Mary alone and said, you're gonna have this child of the Holy Spirit. This didn't make sense to anybody. This didn't happen, right? And she came out of this at a young age, a young girl saying, this child is of the Holy Spirit. What, what are you talking about? Nah, you're just trying to cover up some things, right? And so a lot of rumors may begin to spread. We know that Mary and Joseph had other children. This is what complicated it even further. Matthew chapter 13, um, verse 55 and 56 tells us this. It says, they begin to question Jesus. 
And they said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not with us? So we know that he had four half brothers. And I say half because Joseph's not his father. Four half brothers and at least two sisters, half sisters, because they're sisters with an S. This also presented some conflict, right? Because Mary has Jesus as her child. Mary and Joseph has other children. And that's that whole sibling conflict that comes into play, right? Some of us may have experienced that or seen that. His half-brothers despised him. They didn't believe anything about him. Can you imagine? Jesus grew in spirit and wisdom. He walked according to the law as a child. There's something with childhood, and even in the church, there's a jealousy that tends to take place, right? When you think about some of those things, Jesus was a child who had never sinned. Unlike his half-brothers, half-sisters, and those type of things, right? So I could imagine there may have been some conflict there. Jesus grew a zeal for God. Isn't that what the scripture says? When it said he came into the temple as an adult with this zeal. This is Psalm 69 and 9, which we're about to refer to, and threw all the people out of the temple. The zeal didn't start when he was an adult. The zeal began when he was a child, which is why Psalm 69 really highlights his childhood and adulthood. His half-brothers did not believe in him. You see that in John chapter 7. His half-brothers did not believe in him. It said that, I want to read it. It says, his, his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that do anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou doest these things, show thyself to the world. And then verse 5 of John chapter 7 says, neither did, For neither did his brethren believe in him. So all while he was growing as a child, they didn't believe in him. There was some more despising and rejection that was taking place. Let me read Psalms chapter 69. I'm going to start at verse 8. This sums up some of the points that I just made. Psalm chapter 69 verse 8 says, and again, this is a messianic psalm. It says, I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. He was ostracized, he was an outcast as a child. They viewed him as someone that didn't belong with them, right? Someone that may have, maybe was weird, strange. He had a zeal about God as a child. Verse nine says, for the zeal of thine house has eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Verse 10 says, when I wept. Now, remember we said that Jesus followed the law. 
Jesus followed the law, that's what he was taught. His parents followed the law. So he did things according to the law. That was the pilgrimage, fasting, which we see here in, in, in 10, the whole thing. So verse 10 says, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. So when I tried to do those things according to the law that I had been taught, even with fasting, I was still mocked and despised, and, and, and things were said about me as I was following the law. Verse 11 says, I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. The more I did the things according to the law, the more they had something to say about me. Verse 12 says, they that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was a song of the drunkards. Those that sat at the gate were supposed to be the leaders and the judges according to the law. They were supposed to be religious leaders, but even they despised and rejected and said things about Jesus. This is the context of Nazareth. This is Nazareth. This is why Jesus didn't spend time there as an adult because they didn't believe. Instead, they rejected Jesus from his childhood all the way through his adulthood with anything that he brought to them pertaining to the plan of God. There was times of sadness, prayer and fasting, and there was ridicule. This is what makes it hard even today for a child to go to school in different places and proclaim to be a Christian, right? So I started to think about this in my, in my home because we have, we have children that we're encouraging to believe in God and take a stand for their faith. And we're sending them into places where they're gonna experience some of these things. This is identification. Jesus identified with the things that our children, I can remember, have an experience. Being viewed a certain way, losing some friends, people saying things about you that may not be true, feeling like you have to walk on eggshells, feeling like you may be judged. All of these things Jesus experienced, and it seemed like the more he, fa he was faced with it, the stronger he increased in wisdom and in the spirit. He kept his eyes focused on God, but it was hard because he dealt with it in his home and in the community, and they talked about Mary and his family everywhere he went. But in all of this, he waxed strong. In all of this, he waxed strong. So when we go to our passage, as I close, when we look at Luke chapter 2, and we next week spend time with this 12-year-old story where Jesus is in the temple, there's a reason that this story is in scripture. There's a reason that this story is in scripture. This story that we'll read next week shows us that Jesus was exceptional. That's why it's in scripture. Jesus was an exceptional child. And we'll see why next week. So again, um, just in close, I'm gonna read those verses again. It says, and when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I'm going to ask that this week that you read Exodus chapter 13.
It continues in that in the Passover um, time period in the Old Testament and gives us a little more insight that I think will be helpful when we look at our lesson um, this next week. If you could uh, bow with me for a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you for what you've allowed us to, to read and experience in Scripture. What you've placed in your word for us to understand a little more of who you are, to see your love and your compassion for us as you sent your perfect son, to experience anything that we could imagine. We thank you, God, for loving us before we had a relationship with you, before we knew you, before we had a clue. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for overlooking our faults and acknowledging our needs. We pray that we'd have the same attitude towards others. We pray that we will continue to walk in the things that we've been taught so that we will continue to grow and mature and be what you've called us to be as Christians. In spite of what others may do or, or what's popular, we just thank you for this time. Once again, it's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.